Hi everyone, week one of our sermon series, Hope for the City. We began by looking at the home, the family. Week two, the community that is the church. Last week, Alvin looked at how we can impact the culture of the city. And today, I want us to consider the bigger picture of God's plan for cities. We're gonna do a deep dive into God's word, the scriptures. And I want to begin by asking this question. Why are cities important anyway? Well, it's because our final destination that the whole of the biblical narrative moves towards is a city, a heavenly city. The story of humankind begins in a garden, Eden, and it ends in a city. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we read of the descent to earth of a huge heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, marking the climax of God's creative and redemptive activity. So how we build and live in cities today is meant to point people towards the hope of the ultimate city to come. But the history of humankind and cities has not been straightforward. From the beginning, people made in God's image were intended to inhabit an earthly city with God. God instilled within us an innate desire to be city builders. And we get a glimpse of this right near the beginning in Genesis chapter four, when Cain constructed a city and named it after his son, Enoch. But because people were fallen, because we are fallen, this desire to build cities was driven by self-interest and self-glory. So by Genesis 11, the people built the impressive city of Babel, which was the antithesis, the opposite of the earthly metropolis that God desired we create. Then during the years of captivity in Egypt, God's people built cities such as Pithom and Ramesses, as store cities for Pharaoh, but these were cities built as enslaved people. Then after the Exodus, eventually David captures the city of Jerusalem from the Jebusites in 2 Samuel chapter five, and he makes it his capital. His son Solomon then built the temple there in Jerusalem and God comes to dwell in it, his glory filling the temple that we read of in 2 Kings 8, just as his glory had previously filled the tabernacle in the wilderness that we read of in Exodus 40. Now this was progress. The city of Jerusalem foreshadowed the greater city, the new Jerusalem that is to come. But once again, because of people's sin and idolatry, the prophet Isaiah in the eighth century BC prophesied the destruction of this corrupt Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Interestingly, Babylon was known to the Hebrews as Babel. And this destruction indeed happened, leading to the exile in Babylon. However, Isaiah also prophesied some hope that the people would return, which they did. And Isaiah foresaw the establishment one day of a more glorious Jerusalem in Isaiah 62 and the creations of a new heavens and a new earth in Isaiah 65. And the significant moment on this journey of history towards the new Jerusalem was of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The cross of Christ means that we are once again reconciled to God, adopted as his people, back on track to be redemptive city builders for him. St. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3.20. He says, our citizenship 
is in heaven and we await the return of the Lord Jesus. We are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem that is to come, but we have a role as prophetic city builders here on earth now. And the cities that we help shape here, including KL, are to point to Jesus and the new Jerusalem to come, places of peace and life, places of prosperity, unity and diversity, places of justice, love and worship. So I want us to read right now from towards the end of the book of Revelation in Scripture about this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, and ask ourselves what about it might influence our purpose right now and how we live today in our cities. Now, as we read this, be prepared, because at the start of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, it says anybody who reads or hears this book read will be blessed. So you're about to be blessed. And I'm going to start reading from Revelation chapter 21 at verse 1. Let me read it to you. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, in this prophetic literature, in the book of Revelation, Revelation, the sea always represents chaos. So what the Apostle John is seeing here in his vision is a new heaven and a new earth where there is no chaos, all is in order, all is at peace. And then he says, verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And this vision that God gives John continues throughout chapter 21. We read of the exact measurements of the city and what the walls and foundations are made of. And then we pick it up again in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it, gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And then the last chapter, Revelation 22, begins like this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light 
of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Wow, it's quite a book. What does it tell us about this heavenly city? And what does that mean for our lives in cities today? Well, firstly, we see that the New Jerusalem is a place of God's presence. The city of God is a place in which people dwell. In that sense, it stands for God's new creation. But the city of God is more than just a place. It is the presence of God himself. He is the dwelling place of his people. His presence protects, sustains, and nourishes us. Chapter 21, verse three, we read this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The words here for dwelling and live are literally tent or tabernacle calling to mind the story of the Exodus as God dwelt among his people in the holy tent and led them to the promised land. And the Greek words used are those normally used to translate the Hebrew word Shekinah, the glowing cloud that shows the presence of God's glory. That luminous glory is now to be among his people forever. And there are other signs that the city represents God's presence. It's on a mountain, Zion, with mountains throughout scripture representing a place of encountering God. And Revelation 21 then goes on to describe how the city's walls in verse 18 are made of jasper. That's the stone that represents God himself. And Zechariah, the prophet, had prophesied that the restored Jerusalem would have God as its walls. And the city is described as a perfect cube in verse 16, as was the Holy of Holies in the temple, also a cube the Holy of Holies being the very dwelling place of God. But by verse 22, it tells us that there's no temple in this new heavenly city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And amazingly, this means that we will see God's face, Revelation 22 verse four, as the cross has now removed the barrier of sin that the curtain to the Holy of Holies once represented. And what's more, we get the picture of this city being an eco-city. Interestingly, the land of Havilah, adjacent to Eden in Genesis chapter 2, was considered part of paradise. And in Genesis 2, we're told it was full of gold and precious stones, the very materials that the New Jerusalem is made of in Revelation. So it's a return to the glory God originally intended for us, his creation. But whereas angels were placed at the gates of Eden to ensure that the banished Adam and Eve could not return, the angels are now at the gates of the heavenly city. There is the welcome team to welcome us in. You see, the new Jerusalem is not so much Eden remade, but a new community now centered on God. The way is not back, but forwards through the consequences of sin, the cross, resurrection and judgment and into new creation. And in this eco-city, the central features are the river of life that runs through the streets and the tree of life by it. Jesus had promised eternal life, the life of the spirit, as refreshing as water in John 4 and John 7. And Ezekiel had pictured a river flowing from the temple of the restored Jerusalem, bringing life. Now there's no temple in the new Jerusalem, but the river is still there symbolizing life, flowing from God's presence, from his throne. And the tree of life, 
denied to humanity by sin in Genesis 3, is now available once again for all to eat of it. So what does the, the heavenly city as a place of God's presence mean for you and me today? Well, for one, it means that we should look for God's presence at work in our cities today. KL and your city is awash with God's presence in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in your favorite copatium, in your very heart. But the question is this, do you expect to find him there? Are your eyes spiritually open to see him at work and are you ready to join in? Not long ago, I um, visited back to the UK with my youngest son. And we turned up in this city there and um, we'd gone to get some coffee. And actually my son, he'd not been back to the UK for quite a long time. And it was our first day there, first morning, getting the coffee. And I, I think he was having a bit of reverse culture shock because as I was getting the coffee, he said to me, he said, Dad, I realize there's a lot of white people around. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it, it is the UK. What do you expect? And, but after he said that, I then looked and I noticed at the corner of my eye that amongst the sea of white faces, there were two Asians, two guys. And I said, hey, let, let's go and say hello to them. So we, we went up to these two Asian guys and I said, hi, I'm Miles. I introduced myself to them and we started chatting. Now, it turns out that they were from South Korea and it turns out they were pastors as well. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? And um, they said, well, we've not got anything planned and we don't know where to begin, but we're actually here trying to do some research. We're trying to research the church planting model that's happening in this nation, trying to breathe new life into existing older churches. And then one of them who was also a a professor at a seminary said, and in particular, we're trying to find somebody that might know something about HTB's, Holy Trinity Brompton's church planting model. Would you happen to know anyone? And I was like, what? I said, yes, me. You know, I was the associate vicar at HTB and had planted out of there. They just couldn't believe it. They were like, huh? Of all the people that could have spoken to us in a coffee shop, it's you. So we sat down and they interviewed us. And then the following morning, I get an email inviting us to go um, and speak at various universities and do a tour around churches in Korea, talking about Alpha and our church planting model. I mean, wow, talk about God had gone ahead, prepared the way. You know, I turned up there and all I was looking for was coffee. But God wanted me to have my eyes open to look for what he was up to and to join in. Will you do the same? The second thing we see about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, is that it's about priestly people. What do I mean? Well, the heavenly city is shown as a place and as God's presence, but Revelation also shows the city as people the redeemed people of God. Firstly, the city is described uh, in verse two as a bride. It says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
the church throughout scripture, the church, God's people, is described as the bride of Christ. Now, whereas in the Old Testament, Hosea likened the people to his faithless wife, Goma, who was a prostitute in the Canaanite fertility cults, Jesus, however, has now died for us to purify us and restore us as a beautiful bride for himself. Secondly, in verse seven, the people are described as the children of God. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're adopted into his family. But thirdly and importantly, the people are also described here as priestly. Uh, if you continue in chapter 21 of Revelation, verses 19 to 21, it describes how the walls of the heavenly city are adorned with all of these jewels and it lists them. But this list of precious, precious jewels, it's not random. They are the same jewels found in the breastplate of the high priest in Exodus chapter 28. And like the high priest's breastplate, the city is square. The geometric shape of perfection. Actually, it's a cube, perfection squared. And the city, therefore, has a priestly function since it is also the people of God, his royal priesthood. Revelation 22 verse 4 says that the people will have God's name on their foreheads, just as the high priest had a headpiece and on it was the name of Yahweh. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2.9. He writes that we are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now, what does all this mean, being a priesthood? Well, the purpose of a priest was to mediate between God and the people. Now, that, that's not actually needed any longer, as Christ is now our mediator, our great high priest, such that in him we have full access to God the Father. But the other role of a priest is to worship and lead others into worship. Now, this doesn't just mean singing, but living every part of our lives as an act of worship to him. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for Jesus Christ. And part of this worship is to renew things. Verse five says this, he who was seated on the throne, that's God, said, I am making everything new. Now there are two words in Greek for new. One means brand new. That is not the word used here. The other means to renew something that already exists. And that is the word used here. We are to be people of restoration. How can you restore broken things? I don't just mean if you, I don't know, break your kettle or something, but can you restore broken relationships, broken projects at work, even play a part in helping see broken people healed by Jesus? Isaiah 61, the manifesto for Jesus's ministry that Jesus read out in the synagogue in Luke 4, says that those he has come for, those people, will renew and restore the ruined and desolate cities. And cities have an important role. In English, words such as politics, police, policy, and even polite are a few of our words that we draw from the Greek word for city, which is polis. And the Latin word for city, 
civitas is the word from which we get our words citizen, civilization and civility. We are meant to be engaged in a huge restoration and renewal project in the world. And cities play an important role in this. The New Jerusalem confirms the idea that humans are intended to live in communities where all that is good may flourish where they can interact for the common good and share love, understanding and faith. The church's witness must surely include working to make the cities of the present world reflect to some extent the world that is to come. Now, there will always be much of Babylon in our cities, but there can be something of Zion too, a flicker of hope. And we do this as a priesthood. Now, you might say, I couldn't possibly be that. But I think one of our roles as pastors is to make you see that you can do it. In Ephesians 4, we get a list of the fivefold ministry that some are, are designated to, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. But it goes on, it says, all five are meant to have the same goal, which is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We're all working for the same end whatever our gifts. And so many of you are already doing amazing things in your workplaces, in your communities, families, schools, and many of you serve others through the HTBB community. For example, many of you make sandwiches every Wednesday to go out to schools and those in need, or you're serving in your CGs or on Alpha or on Sundays, working with youth, the children, the worship and production team, the family life courses. Just recently, this guy came up to me uh, in church and he showed me his phone. He said, look, do you remember this? And he opened it up. It was an email that I'd sent him about nine years ago, inviting him, asking him to be part of the team that prays for people on a Sunday. And do you know what he said to me? He said, look, he said, I thought I could never do something like that. And then you sent me that email. So I thought, okay. So he came to the training and for the last nine years, he said, every Sunday I've been praying for people. And he said, you wouldn't believe it, Miles. He said, I've seen God do the most amazing things. I wonder what might God be asking you to do to serve and worship him? What impact could you make as a royal priesthood? Because I want to say over you, you can do it. And then the third and final thing we see about the New Jerusalem is that it's for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22 verse two says this. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You know, our job is to offer the hope of the gospel to the nations. And here in these verses, Revelation uses the imagery of Psalm 1 that describes the person who meditates on the law of the Lord like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither. But here in the New Jerusalem, the leaves are also for the healing of the nations. Revelation 7, 9 has already given us a picture of every nation, tribe, ethnicity, and tongue worshiping before the throne of God. But how will this happen? Well, Jesus said, didn't he? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities. 
But in cities, we often find that all nations come to us. Isaiah 55 verses four and five says, surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then he said to you and me, his disciples, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. His splendor shines through you. Revelation gives us this picture of the heavenly city, always full of light. No sun or moon for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is its lamp. And it says in Revelation 21 verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And then in verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. You know, our re recent church census at HTBB told us that our congregation is made up of no less than 18 ethnicities from 20 nations. And our vision, our remit is for the nations. HTBB is the home of the Alpha Hub, serving 22 countries right around the region. All of Alpha's video content for the world is going to be made from now on at the Hub. And we have a, a Myanmar service that runs here. Uh, we've just had a Filipino congregation and begin to meet on Mondays now here. And we have pastors from uh, many nations studying with us online at our theological college, SPTC. And you are a part of this global vision for the city, for the church, through your prayers, through your service and giving, as well as your role representing Jesus, the light of the world in your day-to-day -day life in this city. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.20 describes all Christians as Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. An ambassador represents his king. He represents his kingdom. And that's what you do. Every man, woman, every child watching this, you are an ambassador representing the king of kings. A number of years ago, I'd taken my three uh, children to the park for a game of football. And I was standing on the touchline with some of the other parents. And I'd recently been given a wristband by somebody. And on it, it just had 2 Corinthians 5.20, a reference to that verse about Christians being ambassadors for Christ. And the dad standing next to me looked down at my wristband and he said, oh, what's that? And I said, oh, it's, it's just a, a reference about being an ambassador. And he went, no way. He said, me too. He said, I, I'm the ambassador for Greece. Pleased to meet you. And I went, oh, hi. And then I thought, please don't ask me, please don't ask me. And he asked me, he said, oh, and you're the ambassador of where? And I went, uh, it's a kingdom. And he said, oh, United Kingdom? I said, sometimes. And then I thought, you know what, Miles, you've just got to come clean. So I said, actually, I said, it's, it's just reference to a Bible verse that says that every person who puts their faith in Jesus is an ambassador for him. They represent him, the King of Kings, and his kingdom. And then there was this long pause. And then he said, I quite like that. I thought, Phew. <laughs> And what did I take away from that conversation on the touchlines there? Well, number one, if you're going to make a joke about somebody's profession, then do it with someone who's a diplomat. 
because they're far too diplomatic to say if they don't like it. But more importantly, I took away that, yeah, we don't need to be ashamed. Actually, we are ambassadors for Christ. And you know, every ambassador that I've ever met, including that guy, they carry themselves so well. They're aware that people will judge their king and their kingdom by their actions. So how might you represent Jesus where you are as his ambassador and shine like the light of the world for him to all around you, regardless of their nationality? Well, one example is you could ask yourself, you could pray about who could you invite to come and try Alpha starting at HTBB on the 4th of October, either in the room at lot 10 or to try Alpha online because you are the bringer of this good news to the nations. You are an ambassador for Christ. So may I pray for us right now. Let's invite the Spirit of God to come and fill us once again, or maybe for the first time, if you don't yet know Jesus, as we pray. Just echo this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Father Almighty, that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose for me. And thank you that you're coming back again. But in the meantime, your Holy Spirit is here to dwell within us. So we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Would you fill each one of us watching this right now? And I sense there's some watching this and you don't feel like a pure bride, beautifully dressed for Jesus, but you feel dirty and ashamed. St. Paul says this, he says, take off the old self, put on the new self, because you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has gone, you are forgiven, set free, clean, the Lord now looks at you and sees you dressed white, holy in his sight. And if you feel called to build or restore something, I just wanna pray for you right now. Lord, would you anoint that person watching this who feels called to restore, to make something new, either to resurrect a project at work or a project that's going nowhere, to see it advance. Would you equip them? Or that relationship that seems broken? Or that body that needs healing? Give them faith to pray and to see you build, restore, and bring wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen.